welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, back, finally, and here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. We have had a really big week. There's been news around sponsorship. I think you heard about Italo. We've got a little inside scoop of what actually happened there. Um, this isn't quite news yet, but we are speculating about who the WSL's next CEO will be. Uh, we have some inside intel there, so we're going to share it with you. We also have a new Stab Premium series, or I guess it's an episode of a series, or maybe just a short film, with uh, Best Surfing I've Ever Seen. It's a really good one. You're going to want to see it. Uh, we also talked to the 2023 Men's Longboard World Champion, Kai Salas. Uh, this is a part of the sport that doesn't get much airtime on Stab, but we really wanted to shed some light on it and a really cool figure within that community as well who achieved a lifelong dream a little bit later than most, but um, he made it happen for himself. We're also going to talk about a wave in Iceland that's being destroyed and how we can stop it. And also we're going to be talking about traveling, how you do it, where you do it, why you do it, and how much you spend. Uh, yeah, so let's bring in Buck and let's drop in. Mikey, you've got a face. You're back. I'm back. All my holes are flowing, and um, I'm happy to be back, Buck. I really actually missed being on here. I didn't, yeah, just I felt left out. I enjoyed listening to you and Stace and you and Mace. But, um, yeah, it's just it's a part of my week that I look forward to, just talking about everything that happened this week in surfing. Breaking a little trend there with the rhymes, Mace and Stace, that was fun. But how's the nose feeling? Can you can you smell? Uh, can you nose breathe like I told you to in that story? <laughs> I can nose breathe. I still can't smell very well. I've never been able to smell. I thought maybe that might improve with this, but it turns out it's not really connected, I suppose, the breathing and the smelling. Uh, but I can breathe, and it feels amazing. I did, this is what you, you've you been doing your whole life? This is incredible. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? It's good stuff, man. So I'm happy. Uh, I'm, I'm even... I talked to the doctor today. He said I might be able to surf, like, next week. So three weeks out of the water, not too bad. And hopefully I'll be able to breathe for the rest of my life now. Wow. Breathe the whole rest of your life. That's pretty cool. Septoplasty. Look into it. If you can't breathe that well through your nose, ask your doctor, tell them, ask them how your septum looks. And if it's deviated, get it fixed. It's that simple. Yeah. Come on, you fucking deviants. Get together. It was actually, I will say it was fucking brutal for the first week. Like just constant discomfort, pain, annoyance. It just, it, it was shitty. It was not fun. But, uh, Come on, you you had people on this surgery. Now you're walking them back. Well, you I, had I don't want to. I don't want to paint it as this like rosy, just fun times. You know, it's not at first. But when you think about the <laughs> the span of your life, suffering for one week isn't so bad. Fair enough. Speaking of a week, guess what? We just had one, and some things happened. Let's get there. Here's what actually happened between Italo and Billabong. Ooh, juicy one this week. You may have noticed the disappearance of a sticker and a nice little see you later Instagram post from our Olympic gold medalist, Italo Ferreira. Wow, Billabong. See you later. As you also likely know if you follow this program, Billabong is going through an acquisition right now. And Mikey, we found out that these things aren't necessarily disconnected, are they? Well, okay, so there's a lot in this one. Um, first and foremost, we should just a little background on Italo and Billabong. So Italo signed with Billabong in 2016. That was the year after he was Rookie of the Year. He had a really good first year on tour. 
Um, so he signed with Billabong in 2016, but you know, besides obviously winning rookie of the year, he'd never really like done, like he was still kind of not a big name in surfing at all. Billabong was his first like major sponsor. I mean, he was sponsored by Oakley before that, but I think it was a pretty small deal. Like Billabong came on as like a main sponsor with like a decent sized deal for what he was doing at that time. And then Italo made so good on that deal with them. Like he went and in 2018, he had a couple slow years on tour, but then in 2018, he won three events, including that first one um, at Bell's over Mick in Mick's last event. And, you know, the koala bear tattoo, the, the yelling in the shower, all that. The next year, 2019, he went on to win the world title, beating Gabriel Medina in the final at Pipeline, the most probably spectacular finish in recent memory, um, and maybe the last world title that will ever be decided at Pipeline. And then in 2021, he went and won the Olympic gold. And on top of that, Billabong was the only company smart enough to get their sticker on his board. So they actually got so much like publicity out of this because the marketing team, shout out Evan Slater, was uh, clever enough to read the the Olympic handbook and go through some back channels to get the Billabong sticker on there. So Itala did a lot for Billabong. Billabong did a lot for Itala. It seemed like a really good arrangement. Um, and we reported in the original piece that Itala's contract was up because we knew that a lot of the um, the board riders deals were up in the end of October of 2023 this year. Turns out that was not true. Um, we ended up yeah, getting some new info that revealed that Italo signed a contract with Billabong in 2022. That was a three-year deal. So that means that he was on until 2025. So the fact that they split means that something changed in that contract. And that's where things started to get interesting because you could see in the original Instagram post that Italo put up, it was a pretty friendly goodbye. He thanked Billabong. You know, there was no like um, harsh undertones or anything like that. So what we learned is that Italo did a deal with a sporting goods store in Brazil and in Europe called Decathlon. They consider themselves the biggest sporting goods store in the world. So the people that now own Billabong, which are ABG... Um, they licensed Billabong out to Liberated Brands, which is another company that basically is going to do all the marketing and all the selling of Billabong product. So we're not exactly sure who called this out, whether it was ABG, whether it was Liberated, but we do know that basically Italo got called out on a breach of contract because they're saying that Decathlon sells apparel and therefore it is in direct conflict with Billabong. And we don't know exactly how it played out. We obviously weren't in the room and nobody's talking to us like with great detail, but it seems as though they came to some sort of agreement, whether Italo accepted that it was a breach of contract and said, okay, or they made more likely I'd say is that they made some sort of back channel deal, sort of a kill fee, similar to what John Florence got paid when, um, in 2020, when Hurley got bought by Blue Star, he took, you know, a portion of what his contract was going to be, uh, but not the whole thing. Italo was due to make um, basically another million dollars in the next two years. It was around a $500,000 a year contract, but it sounds like he probably got paid a kill fee and walked. So now he is a free agent. Well, it's a good thing that Jordy Smith wasn't the team manager at Billabong because that wouldn't have necessarily aligned with the amount that uh, Jordy kind of saw in him. So 500k a year, not bad. Uh, Jordy had a slightly lower offer, let's say. Shout out how servers get paid. Anyway, interesting. I guess you mentioned it like you even in the the story, it's kind of in quotes like biggest outdoor retailer in the world or whatever it is. It's hard for me to explain how fucking massive they are here. 
Like, they are... A, you can go there and buy a basketball, a hiking backpack, a tent, a bicycle, a fishing pole, and a wetsuit. And about 3,000 other things. The thing is insane. And if you go to any beach in Europe in the summer, you will see one of their products. You'll see one of their boards. You'll see one of their suits. And, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of hard to dislike because, like, they're just getting more people in the ocean having fun, right? They're offering really... I own one of their boards. I bought one for my wife years ago. Does Decathlon sell just their own branded products in their store, or do they sell a bunch of different brands? No, they sell their brands. So they have a, a house They have a house brand for a lot of things, and their surf one is called Olion. And they're actually making interesting moves. Like, they've been doing some work with Maxime Huchneau. Like, they're getting more and more into the core space, which... I, I welcome it. I mean, if you're going to make money off surfing and make these products, it's cool. They're investing some of that back into like, you know, people who are, did a lap on the CT at least. Um, so it's really interesting to see what they're going to do. But basically they have their in-house brand called Align. And then I looked it up today because you do see some surf brands in there. Like they'll sell other products too. Like I know that I've seen Quicksilver stuff in there, wetsuits, board shorts. I've seen... That's the only one I'm sure of, and I'm only aware of it because I work there. Um, but I, I'm sure I've seen other surf brands in there as well. And so I did look. I Googled just Decathlon Billabong today. And it doesn't. I couldn't find anything that suggested that they sold them. So it's it's super interesting. I mean, one, I'm interested in what the future of this brand is, especially if they're signing people like this, you know. And two, I'm, I guess I'm interested in in how everything looks with authentic now because yeah like you said the split seemed kind of on good terms but at the same time i think in situations like this if they're given an out or given like a reason to even put forward an argument i wouldn't i would see more of this happening i would see more of like a hey here's a foot in the door to say there's a breach of contract or there's something wrong something that's going to let us save this money I would be surprised if this is the last story like this that we hear in the next, especially month. Yeah, so just to give even more context around that, you know, Liberated is taking on, um, like I said, the marketing of all of these brands. So they, they took on Billabong and Ruka. And that means that they're responsible for all the marketing on top of all the product and, and everything, all the selling and whatnot. So they adopt all of these contracts that Billabong under board riders had made, you know what I mean? So like, and part of that is some of the Billabong execs, they were really adamant about signing some of their bigger name surfers for longer contracts uh, toward like, as it was nearing the sale to ABG, just to protect the sanctity of the brand. So I know that Billabong signed longer term contracts with Ethan Ewing, with Seth Moniz, and with Italo within the year before that sale went through so that they could ensure that those surfers would at least be on Billabong for the next few years after it went through. Um, But ABG and Liberated, they are looking for ways to now cut those costs down a little bit. And so, yeah, to your point, looking for something like this, a breach of contract, which I'm, I'm not a lawyer, obviously. I also haven't read the contract to understand exactly what constant, but like, you can see how something like this could fall into that category. You know what I mean? Especially if this brand, they make their own apparel and they also sell 
brands in their store that are not billabong so like you can you can understand it from liberated abg's side like how they could see this as a breach of contract and why they might bring it forward as such you can also probably see it from utilo's side where it's like yeah he's you know he's partnering with a store like in his mind he's like oh yeah it's basically like a big surf shop you know what i mean like surfers are sponsored by surf shops on top of their um you know their brand sponsors so it's a really interesting situation um and it's yeah it'll be interesting to see how this plays out not just with billabong but with all the brands that are owned by abg because we know that there are going to be some cuts coming up um and in the next couple of weeks we're going to have i think a lot more stories like this one and um just in general about like athletes and and brands and whatnot so yeah a lot going on italo is sort of like the tip of the iceberg i suppose but uh it's again it's an interesting time in the surf industry it is and honestly i wouldn't be surprised if it's a fucking home run for him. Like, obviously, after that Olympic win, a lot, a lot of people there that don't know much about surfing know who he is. I think his name probably carries some serious, serious awareness there. So to if, if this just gives him carte blanche to just go all in with them, then I can imagine that being huge because they, I think they move an amount of product that is pretty rare in this day and age for surfing so could be interesting but like you said more coming fiscal year ends october 31st so that's when a lot of contracts are typically up things might get a little spooky there on halloween we'll keep you posted who will be the wsl's next ceo mikey give us a little breakdown here and then you need to take a hard stance on who you think it is going to be yeah who do you think it is going to be not even should just is if that's aligned cool but if not go who it is going to be oh man okay that's really hard okay so obviously um we go back to end of june 2023 eric logan is very rapidly dispersed of by the wsl in no uncertain terms he got yeeted uh in the middle of a bunch of lay days in brazil only who knows what you get into in that amount of time in that place yoga um so he's out the spot has been filled by a woman named emily and a guy named bob they're the basically hr and coo at the wsl so they've been sharing the ceo responsibilities but the wsl has made that clear that that's that that's an interim role for those two they're trying to find a more permanent solution uh the championship tour season is done we've crowned our world champions the challenger series is going to be ending in the next two weeks so it makes a lot of sense for the wsl to name a new ceo soon before the start of the 2024 season um we have heard a lot of whispers from inside the league and people just sort of in you know positions around the surf industry where you would be hearing about people who have an in here jamie tierney wrote this piece. Um, He has a lot of great connections around the surf industry, so he was a great person to do it. And what he's presented um, are a few names that are at the front of the list. And those two are Brooke Ferris, the CEO of Rip Curl. She also used to work for the ASP back in the day. And Andrew Stark, who is also, he's in the WSL right now. He basically runs the Australia and Oceania. Oceania? Oceania? I don't know how to say that word. Yeah, he runs that region of the WSL. So those are the two names that are sort of front and center. Um, They both have like strong surf backgrounds, you could say, or I guess at least Brooke has strong surf backgrounds. Andrew Starkey, I think he's been a surfer his whole life. I don't think he was a pro or anything like that, but he's been in our world for a really long time. Um, But there have been some other names thrown around. 
There's a woman named Cherie Cohen, who is the chief revenue officer for the WSL. Apparently, she's done really well for them in terms of just like making money. So she's put herself in a strong position. Um, you can't look past Jesse Miley Dyer and also Dave Prodan. Um, those are two people who've just been with the WSL for a real Dave's been there forever working. Jesse, obviously, um, she is the chief of sport, but she used to compete on the CT. And then there are a few other names being bounced around. Um, there's Graham Stapleberg, who, you know, used to be an executive at Billabong and now he's been with the league for a while. Um, and so on and so forth. So Jamie does a really good job breaking down sort of the facts and the rumors that are going around the surf industry right now. <sighs> are you going to, you're going to make me pick one? Yep. Okay. I think it is going to be Brooke Ferris. That's my pick. I think she makes the most sense. I think um, somebody said it in this article. She's She's been through every like part of the surf industry. She was a surfer. She worked for the ASP. She's worked for brands. And now it makes sense. You know, she's, she's also been in a CEO role, so she understands business. And I think it would make sense for her to come back and do the job. And I think she would probably do a pretty good job at it. So I'm going Brooke. Awesome. I mean, there's two people who I think are, and they're kind of presented as front runners in this story, and two people who I would be most excited about taking that role. And I got to be honest, Brooke is number two. I mean, they're in a different pack in terms of how I feel, but she's in that number two spot. The fact that Andrew Stark doesn't want to move to California because the waves are shit should automatically give him the job. You need that type of energy making the fucking calls. After. All the complaints, that's the best thing you can say in a job interview. It's like, hey, no, the waves are too bad here. I'm not I'm not going to take this massive career upgrade. No. That is like, I'd be like, you're hired immediately. This is what we need. This is the best. So for that reason, almost that reason alone, he's my number one. Wow. Okay. And I would imagine Jaddy is your dark horse? Well, Jaddy, it's still, it's written in a, like a engraved in stone that if he... Wins the CT event, they have to let him be CEO. It could only be a year, it could be a little bit, but like they have to. It's there's really you have to. Fair is fair. Um, Andrew Stark and he's gonna pull a fucking Pierre Ness and move the company to Australia somewhere with waves. That's my bet. Lock it in. It's a long shot. Lock it the fuck in. You heard it here first. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. There's also a few really interesting rumors in here, like one of which is that the WSL may employ a joint CEO situation, which they're obviously doing right now, but in an interim sense. So the idea there would be is you'd have someone who's like respected in the surf world to oversee production, talent, brand, and all those other things that are, you know, basically how we interpret the WSL and how we interact with it. Because there's been a bit of a disconnect since we've been so long without a surfer at the helm. But then on the other side, they would also have a joint uh, CEO that would handle more of the money. You know, they'd, they'd be a strong business background person. So they'd handle the partnerships, operations, and so on, because they know how to run a business. So that's one option. And we also heard a rumor that you said on this podcast a while ago that we included in this story is that Jamie Salter, the billionaire owner of Board Riders, walked into the WSL office unannounced and asked to buy the company. Uh, we've heard that from a number of sources. So I don't know how many sources you need for something to just be fact. Uh, but yeah, it's a really great story. There's a lot more in this as well. Like just Jamie did a great job of talking to a lot of big people. On that note, on, I just need to interject, Mikey. I need to interject. I don't not believe that. Like I've heard a story about the guy, like he owns the, 
the Shaq name, I think he owns, like, David Beckham, too, but he owns, like, the intellectual property of, like, you can put Shaquille O'Neal's name on, like, a bottle of shampoo if you want. You got to go through him. Um, and so I've heard a story about somebody showing up to meet with Jamie and having Shaq answer the door. Like, Shaq was just hanging out there, and he's like, go fuck with this guy. Go answer the door. And so just a surfer is trying to negotiate for something, and Shaq just opened. Like, they're already probably scared. Like, there's a lot in the line. And Shaquille O'Neal is just waiting on the other side of that door, and they're just so confused, already thrown off. So if you really storm that WSL headquarters, if, you, if you're that type of person, I really like this unannounced thing, and I really hope it happened. I'll try to confirm it. I'll see if I could, uh, see what I can hear. But the Shaq thing, confirmed. This happened. Who the CEO is going to be is not confirmed yet. I hope it will be soon, and we'll see if it's going to be Starkey. Ferris, or maybe Shaq. Oh, let's see. That would be awesome. The best surfing I've ever seen with Dave Malcolm. Mikey, we've talked on this program before about the year 2012. As we know, Kelly Slater won his last world title in 2011, and 2012 just kind of seemed to be this, uh, this wonderful year. And so Dave Malcolm takes us back here to that beautiful year of 2012. We go to the Caribbean with Dylan Graves, Brendan Gibbons, and Andrew Doheny. And I think my favorite thing about this is tricks. The <laughs> amount of time Dave Malcolm says tricks. And it was funny because we kind of lived through that time and I didn't realize it then. But there was a weird obsession. Like I have to think the custom airstrike was right in that same, that's maybe 2011. But tricks were so cool then. And um, Dave wanted some tricks on this trip, didn't he? Yeah. He, well, he thought he did until Andrew Doheny he thought he did. convinced him. He had to reflect. Yeah, that he, uh, he didn't want to see tricks. He wanted to see, well, I don't know. What would you call Andrew Doheny's turn? I, I wouldn't call it a trick, but it certainly more than just a turn right i guess i think turn is the best word we have to describe it but yeah there, there's no other word but it is kind of more than a turn but what are we like what are you gonna do invent a club sandwich thing that does not sit well with me yeah no it doesn't and he's also like like very few people do anything like this in surfing like of all the surfers in the world there are maybe like five that do something resembling this turn and um he basically brought so i mean it is really interesting because this is the best surfing that Dave Malcolm has ever seen. And first of all, he said he didn't even recognize it necessarily like at the time. He kind of had to have it like shaken into him by one of the photographers and one of the other filmers um, of like what he was witnessing. And it also happened in waves that were just so normal. Like they were just like oh, pretty. Like, though. They, they looked fun. Yeah, pretty for sure. But like these are not like, you know, the other best surfing I've ever seen. They were at you know, places like that right in Japan, which is like a pretty crazy wave, like tubes, turns, airs, everything you could do on that wave. Um, the There was the one in Reunion Island. There was there was the one at that, the freaking Tom Jennings one in Indo. Like, you know what I mean? Like the waves are always like a big component of these. And these waves you could find pretty much anywhere in the world, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I, they went to great lengths to find them, sailing around, getting drunk at various Caribbean bars, which is... Like all these things, you get just incredible side stories out of it that give you more of a sense of what actually went on that trip. I want to call it the fact that Dave mentions it like he was working at Transworld with Jerry Ricciotti at the time. And I remember it wasn't only around that office. Like I worked at the, the office that those guys worked at for a bit, but also just around the town there. 
I would see these stickers that just said, Dave hates this. And eventually I figured out that they made those stickers because Dave was notorious for just liking everything. And I mean, you can get a sense for the guy in this, in this edit. He is such a lovable guy and he's just kind of happy and cool and just really easy to get along with. And so they made these stickers because I guess became this joke like, oh, Dave hates this because Dave never hated anything ever. Everything was like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Um, and so they made stickers, put them everywhere. And it seems like that may have been the only thing that Dave Malcolm was unsure of in that time. He was not sold on Andrew Doheny's boards, his, his self-shaped boards. Like this was at a time where before, like he really had that reputation. It was like his first, you know, oh shit, he's writing these things. Um, and also the surfing Dave was like, I want to see tricks. So it was like, that seemed to me like the extent of what Dave Malcolm could hate. Uh, and still it's such not hate. It's just like, oh, I don't know about that, you know? Uh, and I needed to call that out. It's great stickers, by the way. Just Dave hates this. There might still, if you see one around like Oceanside, let's say North County, San Diego, you'll know what it means. It might still be out there 10 years later. So I was I was pretty like unsure when I heard where dave was taught because i've been to this place before i used to go there actually as a kid a lot and yeah when when i heard about like where it was i was like huh like did they get some like crazy swell or something and it's like not really and, and then it was and then i found out that it was andrew doheny and i was like okay well like doheny is one of the best most kind of like creative surfers i feel like of our generation for sure but i thought it was gonna have to like it to to Dave's point that he gets to, like he he does a similar turn. Like Andrew Doheny has a turn that is his signature, hundred percent. So I thought, like, huh, like what could he do in this that would actually like hit that peak that it could be like a filmer who's filmed so many great surfers in so many great places. Like, what would he have to do for it to clock in Dave's mind as the best surfing he's ever seen? And then I watched it, and I kind of got it. I was like, wow, like the waves were normal. It was Andrew doing a turn that you've seen versions of before, but like him doing it, I think the fact that it was all in one session for the most part too really stood out. Like, and also another one of these things is like relativity. When you see someone surfing really well in a group of people that are all really good surfers, and there's one person that's just so far above and beyond the rest, like it's it really makes it stand out more in your mind. And the fact that he was there with Brendan Gibbons and Dylan um, Graves, two obviously amazing surfers in their own right, and how different of a level Andrew was on, I think that's probably what cemented it in Dave's mind as like, yeah, this is like truly on a different level. And it's cool that he also said that this was from that film Tropically Yours that Transworld made. And he said that more than anything else in his career, people bring up that section um, with the colors, he says, which is in relation to the board that Andrew is riding and then the color of the water. Um, but really, the, the reason that you remember either of those things is because of the surfing that happened in the setting. So go give this a watch. Um, at, at the very least, it's a really entertaining story. Dave's great on camera. Why are filmers so good on camera? They've been on the wrong side this whole time. It's insane, right? Everybody that we get is just like comfortable and easy. I guess they just get that like what's needed. I don't know, but Dave's great. Go watch it. See the colors for yourself, folks. Meet your 2023 longboard world champs. All right, this just went down at Malibu, and without further ado, your champions are Bonga Perkins and Cassia Mador. So, congrats, Bonga. Congrats, Cassia. Um, 
it's awesome to see. I, I watched some of this, actually. Did you watch any, Mikey? Are you that much of a committed surf fan? Yeah, I mean, that air reverse bonga did on the last wave to win the thing was incredible. I Okay, I, I really did. I tried to watch it. Um, your real champions are Kai Salas and Soleil Eriko. They won. That was great. Um, I didn't know. One thing I learned is that the WSL Longboard Championships also have the finals format that was exciting i think this is the first time they've done that well they had a fog delay i'm just spouting facts there's fog delays there's uh come from behind things it was it was wild it's still a little bit wild to me that this event exists um and i tried to watch for a little bit and i couldn't figure out how longboard scoring works really i, I realized i was just out of my depths there but i gave it a go and i'm happy for kai and soleil be real, you signed off as soon as Tony Silvani lost. I did want Tony Silvani to win. I am a fan of Tony Silvani. He was in the mix. He had a tough... It was interesting. One thing I will call out, though, they they do a three-person heat to kick off. Instead of the the two-person heat to kick off that fourth-fifth match, they do fourth-fifth-sixth. Fourth, fifth, I don't know if they're kind of toying with that, but I thought it was cool. I thought it was like interesting to see... Those stakes, I'm sure the person in fourth would hate it in surfing. They'd be like, hey, no, I'm in fourth. You can't just throw, like, number six in here, too. Well, no, they had eight eight people. It started with eight. Well, that wasn't the heat I watched, Mikey. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's like the WSL Finals format for the CT, but they added more people, and then, yeah, I think the first two rounds are three-man. So it's, like, eight, seven, six, the winner moves on, and then it's... Five, four, and whoever won the eight, seven, six match, and then you go into the singles. Um, I actually, I, I, I wasn't able to watch the whole thing, but I actually found it like relatively entertaining. One to just like to your point, try to figure out what exactly scores in longboard, um, and two, it was a pretty good competition. Like there was, I don't know, there were paddle battles. Whoa, that's heated on longboards. They can really get howling. <laughs> yeah. So. There's a lot going on. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so Kai Salas won. And Kai Salas is a really interesting figure. So he's been on the longboard tour in whatever form it's taken for the last 20 years. Um, he's, I think, 42. And he's from Hawaii. He's from Honolulu. Uh, so he's been doing this forever. And he's saying that he was actually, you know, he's going to quit. But the reason that he stayed on the past few years is because of the next generation of surfers, specifically Kaniela Stewart. And on the women's side, Kelis Keliopaa, because they're both from his hometown. And despite being like 20 years younger than him, they've really formed like a cool bond. And he's been a bit of a mentor to both of them to the extent that he shapes both of their surfboards for the longboard tour, which is especially interesting because he ended up in the final with Kaniella. Um, seems like a bit of a conflict of interest there. Wow, that's super interesting. I didn't know that. So he's been doing it forever. He was a three-time... Moontail. Shout out Moontails. Yeah, Moontails. That's right. He was a three-time runner-up for the world title, though. Imagine doing something for that long, and you've been so close so many times. Like, we talk about Taj, we talk about Sally, uh, but this, fortunately for Kai, was more of a Joel Parkinson moment. It was his 2012. Hey, Sally's back on. I mean, you, you're very aware of this, but she's back on, baby. It's not too late. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so... Yeah, we ended up chatting with Kai uh, Holden, turn, 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 McCall, Ruka, <laughs> um, because we really, you know, we obviously we don't cover longboarding like that's just not part of our programming. Maybe over the course of 365 days, we do three or four things that are longboard related. But 
we got to thinking like these people dedicate just as much of their lives to surfing. Like they're just as invested as all of us. They just happen to be in a different sort of niche. So we wanted to just kind of talk to somebody who has made this their entire life. And granted to be on the longboard tour, Kai says it in the interview, like you have to work another job. You can't, it's not like being in the CT. You're not making enough money to sustain yourself from this. So Kai ended up starting. Well, I saw, I saw the prize money for it. You know what you win? You win if you win the WSL finals at lowers. Tell me. Two hunch. Okay. It's pretty good. You know what you win here? What is it? Ten. Oh my god. Well, this is why Joel Tudor got <laughs> so heated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What am I gonna do? Lose? You know? If you're yeah. Mad. Where's our pay equity? <laughs> anyway, no, I I agree with your points. I mean, I like to poke fun. That's what we do here on this program. But at the end of the day, a longboard. Ah, foil, it's a bit of a stretch for me still, but go ahead, get after it. As long as you're enjoying yourself, ride your decathlon board, do whatever, enjoy yourself. We don't know, it's like Al Gore hot right now here. Who knows how long or how much longer the earth is going to even like spin for. So just have fun. Let's hear from Kai. You know, like the biggest thing I take away from him and, and even Kelis is like, um, I don't even know, like, they're, like, a big reason why I'm still competing, I'd say. Because, like, you know, like, I've competed all the all the years through the whole high pro era is where I'm from. And then we transitioned more into logs. And then these kids, like, started writing logs in Waikiki, where, where before it was just, like, when I was growing up, it was, like, Dino Miranda and Rusty Kailana all doing 360s on Trifin. Nine O's, you know, yeah. right? So like now, like I'm older and it transitioned to this more. I always dabbled with single fins, but it, you know, we weren't. I was always competing, so I never really paid attention to it too much. But now these kids are coming out riding single fins, and like it kind of, kind of sparked like a whole new like chapter in my surfing that I wanted to like chase. So they like. Yeah, like, you know, I heard from that, from them and many people that I, when they were kids, they used to watch me out there and they were inspired of the surfing I was doing. And then it got to a point where I was like, more inspired by them, you know. And now a word from our friends at Fringe. I swear on my life that the following is a true story. The year is roughly 2011 and I was surfing Rocky Point. There were only about 10 people out. It was oversized, but pretty average. It wasn't doing that thing where it's big and barreling and nice. No, it was it was just kind of flopping through. All right, maybe that had something to do with the degrees of the swell, but I've never really bought into that. It's just it's too obscure. Instead, I like to focus on other things in life, such as cuisine and gambling. Also, if you're a surf forecasting outlet, why don't you go ahead and get the fucking swell height right before you start talking to me about degrees, okay? Anyway... In between sets, this plastic thing floated up to me. It was kind of in a can and had some plastic on it, and I noticed it had a little button to press. I was just waiting for waves, so I had nothing better to do, and I pressed that button. It was then that I realized the can contained mace. So the mace hit me in the face, and I screamed. It fucking hurt. I had no idea what it was. Like I just thought it was a weird can, and then I was just in extreme pain, and so I kind of yelled... 
Uh, the other nine people in the water were looking at me, asking if I'm okay. I'm just, you know, they don't know what's happening. I couldn't really explain it because I didn't realize what happened quickly. Um, so I just kind of flagged them off, said, no, I'm good, I'm good. And after a few minutes, I had enough vision to, like, you know, negotiate the lineup again. I My face still hurt. Like, my eyes were fucking burning. I could still hardly see. So I just, I went in. Um, and the waves were still fun. Do you know the biggest mistake I made that day? I didn't eat the fringe bar. Fringe bars contain adaptogenic mushrooms, which make you smart. Smart people do not mace themselves. I mean, I'd like to blame this on not me, but you really, if you've maced yourself in the face, you cannot blame anybody other than yourself. Fringe bars are fully plant-based. They're gluten-free. They have 15 grams of protein, zero grams of added sugar. They're made with real, all-natural ingredients, and they come in three delicious flavors and like i said they've got those adaptogenic mushrooms to keep your mind and body balanced energized you eat the fringe bar you don't mace yourself so you are going to want to head over to fringefoodco.com and use the code stab to take 15 percent off your first order of fringe bars they are available in 12 packs of chocolate almond butter coconut cashew mango hemp or get that variety pack you taste all three flavors it's like wine tasting but with the the fringe bars again that's code stab to get 15 percent off your first order at fringefoodco.com get some bars don't mace yourself stop the greedy fuckers ruining one of the best waves in iceland buck i've been looking forward to this moment all week long I need you to pronounce the name of this town. I was looking it up. I was looking it up. <laughs> I've already forgot it. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna just do a gap. I'm gonna stand. We're gonna we're gonna have some help here. All right. So, folks, there's a town called Thorlaugsund, Iceland, and in Thorlaugsund, Iceland, there is a problem. You see, the problem in Thorlaugsund, Iceland, is that. They're trying to fuck everything up. Uh, they're trying to build a harbor. It is on the east side of Iceland, and most of the ships have to go around this kind of cape into the capital of Iceland, which is, of course, Reykjavik. And this would save some time, I think, especially for certain industries, it seems. Sounds like... Okay, so there's also a world-class wave there. Uh, there's a great wave. It's fickle, it seems. It's cold as all hell. It's not really a place that you're just going to, like, have the surf yoga camp it's like you have to try to get this thing right and the locals have been it sounds like they've been lovely to anybody who puts in the effort to visit but they've also been not trying to just blow it up not saying hey look at this world-class iceland wave everybody come here they've just been like hey we got a great wave let's enjoy it let's have a little scene and when whoever comes through whether they're a pro trying to film something as long as they do it respectfully or if it's just like an everyday surfer by all counts they're great people up there and it's not like, imagine if you went to Iceland and got like loked out. You're like, fuck, I went this far. And like you paddle out. Someone's like, get out of here. You'd be like, dude, it's Iceland. Like, cut it out. That's not what happens though. They don't do that from, from what I hear. Anyway, this is a multi-phase build that's been proposed. And from what we gather, it did not yet get approved, but people tried to start construction. Huh, that's an issue, right? You can't really be doing that. And so... One thing that it's kind of, it's, there's nothing funny about this story, but imagine just being this mayor 
this mayor, let's give a, let's give him a go here. He'll get the shout out. L.O.B. Vignesen Olfus. Imagine being L.O.F.I. Vignesen Olfus. And you're like, I mean, it sounds like this town is small. It's remote. You know, probably a pretty easy place to kind of do a little bit of, you know, shimmy shimmy. Usually, you know, the more remote, far out you are, you could probably kind of get a little bit weird with it. Um, and it's just surfers stopping him. It's surfers going, it seems like they're at the front lines going, no, man, you can't fucking build this this port. Like, it didn't get approved, and it's going to fuck a lot of things up in the ocean. So it's awesome seeing the local crew there take a stand. This is on the freemium section of our site, which means anybody could read it, but we do think it's quality that we normally like to put behind the paywall. So go check it out. Another important thing is there's a petition you can sign. So the whole point is just get this thing attention and then also get signatures because that way when conversations are had, you can say, hey, here's this document that people from all over the world signed that said, hey, don't build this port. So let's see, go sign it, and um, we'll hope that our friends in Iceland can stop the greedy fuckers. Another thing to call out here, which, like I said, like it's if you're somewhere all remote like that, you probably expect you could fuck around a little bit, right? So we have rumors that there's especially one company that this port would benefit. It is a German cement company called Heidelberg. And the interesting thing about this, just the baffling thing almost, is that the mayor apparently lives rent-free in one of their properties. So if you want to just have signs that he might be in bed with this company that would greatly benefit from this port, uh, he lives in one of their houses. And so pardon me, Mikey, I have to say it. Those who live in glass houses can't throw stones, but I don't know where we stand on those who live in cement houses. Um, That's going to be up to the people of Iceland, I guess. It is funny like to think that if you're this mayor... Like you're in this like relatively small town or whatever. You so happen to have a port that's like really lucrative, it turns out. So like you do have a bit of, you know, weight and prestige there. But it's like it would kind of just suck, right? Like you kind of got this scheme going on, maybe, maybe not, uh, where, you know, you get a little kickback, you get a little power, you get a little money, everything's going pretty good for you. And then you just end up on uh, a surf website and people are just absolutely now they just they're you know, Eloy Vignesen of Olfus is just a person non non grata in, in the surf world now. I know. Scrape it together, Olfus. You're on our radar. We're on to you, buddy. So <laughs> sign the petition, and if you see Olfus, tell him to fuck off. <laughs> so, where are you headed? In this story, written by yours truly, we break down the a few insights from the Stab Reader survey. We've been chipping away at these things, just rolling them out, slow drip. This one focuses on travel. We had a few travel questions in there, and I tried my best to make sense out of them. So one point I want to make initially, it's how I started the article as well, is sometimes you hear this sentiment that the surf industry is dying, and I think it's so silly that we consider the surf industry, like it's almost like a synonym for the five biggest surf brands like obviously those things had we're making more money and spending more money than they used to yes that's that's very apparent but to think that more money isn't changing hands as a result of surfing now than it was years ago you've got to be fucking out of your mind to make that point that is out absolutely outlandish so once that that i kind of started with to prove that point was that 
In this survey, we asked where you're most likely to spend your hard-earned cash in the next 12 months. Soft goods came in at 16.65%. Hard goods came in at 46.25%. Surf travel at 65.56%. So, For anyone doing mental math right now, no, those numbers do not quite add up. We let people select more than one. <laughs> Good call out, Mikey. Also, Buck, another question. This is more existential. Do soft boards fall into the soft goods or the hard goods category? You got to go soft, man. It's soft. It's just like buying a t-shirt. Okay, that's good to know for anybody just wanting to know statistics out there. That's good for our stats crew out there. So doesn't that just show you, I mean, less than one out of every five people is that interested in buying a t-shirt, and yet more than half the people want to go on a surf trip? It just shows you that maybe the... I don't know that there's that we can't just look at clothing companies as the entire surf industry anymore. Right. Anyway, that's just one thing. That's kind of our little introduction. That's how we get you going here. Get you in our little bait. And to further prove that point though, I guess another stat we pull from this is that we ask people if they are going to take a surf trip in the next 12 months, 76.79% said yes. And another 17.77% said maybe. This one actually did add up to 100. You had to choose one. So that's about 5% that was left undivided. So pretty much everybody wants to serve travel, at least all the 7,000 people that we asked. And now the other thing that I really think that we should touch on here, because there's a few other bits about how people book and all these things, destinations. So Mikey, anything surprise you here? I mean, Indo was by far just the runaway champion. We asked people where they're likely to go in the next 12 months. Indo was about 20%. And then I call that a few. I call that a few that I was surprised by that I thought were shockingly low. Anything stick out to you there? Well, okay. The one thing that I found really funny is that like Indo was so far and beyond like the the most often picked. And then in the next question, it was when deciding on a destination, what influences your decision the most? And the majority of people said fleeing the crowds. So there's a bit of a disconnect <laughs> there. Um, however, on the, funny, huh? on the location front, I actually found it interesting that so many people said Europe. I guess like... I don't know if that's Europeans saying that they're going to go somewhere else in Europe because there's obviously so many different like countries and coastlines over there. But I guess I didn't realize that people from outside of Europe were going there so often. Or maybe maybe that's happening like more recently because Europe has sort of exploded as this surf hub. Um, you've definitely seen that and felt that. Uh, but yeah, I guess that was the biggest, the most interesting one to me was Europe. I just... I. You know, I know people have always gone there, but I didn't think it was in those kind of numbers. What do you mean? You get barreled off your head, come in, drink red wine, and eat good it's food. It's the best place ever. Don't get me wrong. I just, like, for Australians, it's so far away, right? I guess if you're in, like, South Africa or something, it's, you know, it's still a decent flight, but it's not super far. And then East Coast America, it's pretty close. West Coast, it's a bit of Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's I, I would have assumed that somewhere like Central America was far above Europe on the percentage of like people traveling there, but it turns out they're about equal. Yeah, that is interesting because our audience is mostly like U.S. is our biggest country. And so, yeah, a Central American trip from the U.S. really is just it's usually cheap. It's usually easy, pretty much as, as easy as it can get from there. So, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean. 
We'll call that a surprise. I guess to clarify, though, so like Central America and Europe were tied. However, Mexico was its own category, and it had almost as many votes as those um, two places. So if you were to stack Mexico and Central America together, it would be nearly double Europe, which I guess that does kind of make sense, because I feel like about half the travel down to that that zone south of America, but north of South America Um you know, like Mexico is, it's it's technically not Central America, but for kind of the way that we think about it, it might as well be in that category as well. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, again, that's it's such a no-brainer for people, especially in California, to get down there. It's like easy as it's going to get to go get waves. So unless you get like a machete in your face or something, then it's not as easy. But I caught that out. No, you just, didn't you watch the Quicksilver film? You just like, you just like tackle the guy. Oh yeah, it's really no, easy. fair enough. Repeater, go check it out. Learn some technique. Learn how you do it down there. Um, I call that Hawaii being under five percent, and also just I I love Australia. I love the waves there. Um, that was seven point three percent, but again, we have a big portion of audience there, so they might have been like, "Well, I'm going to Indo." Like, I'm not. Well, I think too that that comes down to the expense, right? Hawaii is so expensive. Australia is so expensive. I guess now Australia, like relative to the U.S. dollar, maybe it's not as bad, but it's still like, you know, compared to a Central America or even like, I swear, Europe's cheaper. Like you can do Europe cheaper than both of those places, I think. They should just change their currency name so that we don't even, when they quote a price in dollars, you just don't even associate it. <laughs> that's true. It's, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Put, Sam, put that one up the chain there in Australia. See how we go. Anyway, one one commenter called out South Africa. And I was like, oh, that is a glaring miss. It might fall into that far from places category. It's far from where a lot of our audience lives. But the waves that you get there and the cost of living, it's pretty hard to match. Like you have to wear a suit unless you're, if you're going to probably where you're going to get the best waves, you do have to wear a wetsuit, especially during the peak season. But I mean, you're going to score. It's not going to be expensive and it's going to be a really good trip. So the fact that only 3.9% said Africa as a whole um that that surprised me I, again i missed it but a commenter called it out i was like oh man this guy's onto something so shout out to you i want to go to south africa so bad i've never been there um i think to your point that probably comes down to distance from places cost to get there is going to be expensive no matter what and then i also like i would imagine if it affects me it would affect some other people too but like i, I don't know it just kind of freaks me out a little bit with the sharks too ah you'll be fine um, like <laughs> yeah yeah statistically i'll probably be fine yeah, he'll be fine. Unless I'm not. Unless you're not. And in which case, you know, at least you could, your last breath would be through your nose. All right, Mikey, a few more things on this week. What else we got? There's an EDP, Surfer Tomorrow, Episode 1. We are going to be airing all those on staff. We might even jump in a little scouting camp they're doing. We got some other goods, Mikey. What else? Tell us what's going on. Uh, well, there's another little Nick Von Rupp episode, which I know that you've been uh, on top of. So there's this one's about Super Tubes. He freaking scores it. Like, niche. we've seen Super Tubes a lot because it's on the CT. Never seems to be that great for the event. If you want to see what it looks like on actual good days, you can go watch this video. It looks fucking fantastic. It's silly, yeah. That was uh, that stretch leading up to this CT event last year, actually, which, oh my God, imagine if we actually got to see it. And that was like, as you can see, like, Itilo, Kyle were there. It was right before the CT started. It went mad. Uh, hopefully we get that this year. Hopefully we just hit all lines. But what about coming? We got some, some juice? Oh, yeah. We got a lot of good stuff coming. So we're going to have, I think, by next week, 
we're going to have a sponsorship story um, tied to the board riders, ABG, Liberated, all those different brands, Quicksilver, Billabong, Ruka, et cetera. I think we're going to have it ready by then. We've been talking to people. Uh, we've been getting some inside scoops. So that's going to be a really big one next week. Uh, we've also got a piece coming that is more evergreen, I suppose, but it's as interesting as anything, which is what it costs to be a pro surfer. We've had um, Evan Cornstorm out there, and he's been talking to a bunch of different pro surfers, figuring out what they spend in a year um, in different categories, you know, like QS, CS, CT, free surfer, big wave, etc. So we're going to finally figure out what it costs to be a pro surfer, which is not fucking cheap. Um, and then also we have the Challenger Series. The last event of the Challenger Series is coming up in Brazil. I think it starts on October 14th, and that will determine who makes the 2023 championship tour. We also have a piece on the site right now that explains that situation um, in kind of like idiot math terms, like not official because these things can't really be official yet, but it says basically that the top seven guys are probably safe. The top three women are probably safe. Or no, top two women, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. You can go read it on the site. It has the word Changas in the title. You can't miss yeah, it. Yeah, you can't miss it. I'm pretty... I mean, things will shift, but I'm pretty excited about this new crop anyway. As long as Mateus Hurdy, I'd really like to see that guy on tour. I, I don't know if his surfing suits the first few events, which is kind of a bummer, but I love the way that kid surfs, and I'd really like to see him take some scalps. So hopefully he can hang on. Yep. So we'll find out later next week basically if that's going to happen um and of course we'll be back on friday with another episode to break down everything that happens that week in surfing but for now before we go we have a surf sin we have a surf sin let's hear it all right buck mikey time for my surf sin a couple years ago had a buddy of mine who's a little younger was not driving yet so i was his ride out to the beach we took him out surfing early morning dawn patrol a beach we have to pay to park but we knew a couple spots that you could park by someone's house so we're in one of those spots just pulling up real tri- casual real early sun's like just barely coming up i'm on one side of the car changing into my wetsuit and i hear this person start yelling from the other side i look over the kid that i'd taken with me was standing in the windowsill of the house trying to look over the roof to see the waves and the person in the house had opened the window and was cussing him out from their bathroom window where he was now standing i finished putting on my wetsuit walked away like didn't want to be seen with this person but i've always felt bad about that since i took him to the beach seems like that's on me give me my penance interesting one another like kind of feeling guilty for somebody else's kind of you know mistake i get it i don't know it's i feel like in surf towns around the world I mean, I know some people like this in mine. There are just some human beings who have never really figured out how to operate. How This whole society thing is just kind of lost on them, right? And so especially when you take... But they can make it work in their little bubble. You know, they can go, they'll get their coffee here, they'll go surf there, and it's all good. Like, nothing, you know, as long as they stay in their little thing, nothing goes wrong. They know how to navigate that. When you take one of these people outside that bubble... It's fucking hilarious. They just do things where you're like, "How? who gave you the idea to do that? Such as climbing a windowsill to check waves. Um, this was a child, so I'm not sure if he fits in this category, but that's kind of the energy. I hope, I hope that child in him never died, and he still just does things where people just stare at him and go, that's not how to operate. Like, don't. We have almost unspoken rules. No, not even unspoken. It's written down. That's trespassing. Um, you can't do that. 
But I would like to think that this person is just an adult who's still climbing on windowsills in his little bubble where it's acceptable because maybe they're just summer houses or something. And um, I don't know if it's the case, but that's what I want to believe. What do you got? Yeah, so I'm actually, you know what? I thought about this one. I didn't love the sin. Um, I didn't have a great penance for it, but I went onto our Instagram and I'm just going to steal one from one of our commenters because I thought it was absolutely perfect. Uh, so this is from Kellen Surf Jitsu. And Kellen says, the next three times someone rolls down their car window and asks, are you by chance leaving? You have to say yes, even if you just arrived. <laughs> then pack up your stuff and give up your spot, regardless of how good the waves are or how little parking is available. <laughs> I like that. Oh, oh, that's brutal. The feeling of getting... The feeling of driving around looking for a parking spot is so fresh. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, that's brutal. I almost thought for a minute that I was going to go to just like saying yes and then not doing anything, which is just funny. It's not It's not really a penance. It's not annoying, but it'd be hilarious if you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. And then you just went out and surfed. And the person's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I've likely done that in a foreign language. If somebody's asked me and I didn't understand what they said, are you staying or leaving? And just said yes. Um, anyway that's a great penance shout out shout out to the commenter mine's a little bit abstract but it makes me think because I kind of have like like I said it just reminded me of just some creatures from home and where we grew up Mikey there's kind of this thing for a while where people get mad about towel changing like it was just indecent to be changing into a wetsuit outside a car I'm pretty sure that's went away but people would like call the cops and stuff on that and it was just the worst so I'm kind of going there and I think if this is about checking the waves and suiting up and kind of not fitting in with the rest of society I know it was this kid who did it not the sinner but the sinner you gotta just go on no towel change in a in a decently crowded space like you gotta go no no towel change in a crowded lot it doesn't have to be packed doesn't have to be midsummer. A bunch of people should, you know, if it's just all surfers around, they're, they're less likely to judge you because they may be okay. This guy forgot a towel or something. It's just he's just doing what he needs to do. Um, that's it for me. Yeah, and if you end up on the list, you end up on the yeah. list. Yeah, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's not my decision, brother. That's fate. <laughs> all right. Well, those are your penances. Uh, you can choose whichever one you think fits the crime best. Uh, we would love. We, we, you know what we haven't gotten lately. We haven't gotten any videos of penances being completed. So if you have one of those, we'll figure out another prize for you if you actually send in a video of your penance being completed. I don't want this guy to send me a dick pic, man. What are you doing? Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin of your own, send them into michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. Film them vertically on your phone, 60 seconds or less, and if you get selected to be on this podcast, you will win a free year of Stab Premium and maybe some other little treats if Buck feels like sending them. A fringe bar, you know the deal. All right, so, yeah, that was a big week. Uh, again, so happy to be back and excited for what's to come. I mean, come on, there's... Seriously, October 31st is going to be kind of like Armageddon, or maybe not. We've yet to see if these brands are going to cut, you know, major chunks of their teams or just a small portion, but we're going to be following it very closely and giving you guys all the intel. Um, also, who's going to make the CT? We might find out this next week, so stay tuned, and until then, over and out. Over and out.